Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunders game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Darius Miller being waived, and the Thunders new addition in Gabriel Deck. So just starting things out with the game against the Cavaliers, finishing up our back-to-back set, obviously end up playing the day before in our loss, continuing the little losing streak we have going on. Wanted to make sure it didn't go up to five, but Thunder were not able to get the job done. End up losing by 27 points, 129 to 102 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really close game. In the first half, that second half was very, very rough for the Thunder, though. They got outscored 64-41. to First half, it was all kind of skyrocketing for both sides. Nobody was able to miss from the floor. In the first quarter alone, both sides were able to hit six threes apiece. So that's already 36 combined points. And you couple it with the fact when they weren't getting wide open three-point looks, they were going right at the basket, either getting foul calls or easy layups. So it was 38-38 to through one. That's not something you see very much, especially from us right now. Without all of our key guys, we had seven people out for this game. Cavs didn't have Jared Allen, Larry Nance, or Dylan Windler. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of unexpected. It was very, very nice to see, though. So you definitely will not be complaining about that it kind of got a little bit scrappy in this game you know the Cleveland Cavaliers they got to the free throw line really as much as they wanted to in the game they shot 24 free throws Oklahoma City on the flip side only shot 13 it was much worse before the fourth quarter I mean we are talking double digit advantage for the Cavs like the whole entire way Cavaliers end up making 20 of their 24 Thunder only made nine so that's 11 points going in favor of the Cavs, but there were just a lot of really tough plays where there were just no calls on the Thunder's end. I know to start out, I think it was the third quarter, Moses Brown and Poku were together. They were trying to get down low in the paint, and they were just getting hacked by the Cavaliers, and there was no whistles being thrown. The only whistle you saw in the first two minutes came from Kenrich Williams, you know, trying to shrug off a defender trying to get to the lane they called a charging foul so really they were not helping out the thunder much and um yeah it was just really scrappy I mean there were two different instances in the game where blood was actually shed from one of the thunder players first time was in the first quarter Justin Robinson his left ring finger I believe it was ended up getting cut open now they didn't show a replay in I really had a hard time trying to trace back to what happened, but he ended up getting a cut. was really bad, it seemed like, because they had the whole entire cleaning crew on the court. You know, since it's the finger, I mean, the blood was kind of just plopping everywhere, really. So they had a lot of different spots they had to cover up. Even to the point where they had to toss out the ball, they got a new one. That might be a first. I don't think I've ever seen something like that happen. Like, it took... A pretty long time typically when someone you know starts bleeding on the court you get them off you get one or two guys clean up the hardwood and you're good to go but nah I mean there were probably four to five people out there scrubbing along and they took their time with it so you know did a good job cleaning up I guess I just thought that was a little bit interesting I don't think I've ever seen something like that and then you end up going into the third quarter 
and it was still pretty nasty. I mean, Michael Cage called the third like a WWF match. He's completely right. You know, that was the quarter I was talking about where Brown and Poku were just getting hacked down low in the paint. Kenrich Williams was getting no love with his charging foul, but he also bled. There was a little loose ball off a rebound, and Kenrich Williams, he just, obviously, it's Kenrich Williams. He goes for the ball, he dives over it, and then he's kind of stuck, like, sitting down, you know, legs sprawled out on the floor, just has the ball kind of just rested in his lap, and coming from right above him was Kevin Love. He pretty much bear-hugged him and was playing a little bit of -of tug-of-war with the basketball, so inadvertently, Kenrich Williams accidentally like sliced his eyebrow open. It was kind of, you know, in between the eye and eyebrow. It wasn't exactly the eyebrow. I wouldn't really call it the eye either, but just kind of in that space. So that's kind of tough. You know, he cut that and it wasn't as bad as Robinson's, but yeah, I mean, that has got to be painful as hell. So he ended up having to get escorted. He came back in the game, but I just really think those two sequences from Robinson and Williams just embodied how the game was going. I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they did a nice job shooting threes. You know, it was just a complete shootout from both sides in that first, but they consistently were able to just rely on getting inside and getting calls and just living with the results because the results were really just going in their favor every single time, whereas when the Thunder went in for contact they were not getting any love. So they really just had that saving grace from the foul line the entire game. And even when there wasn't a free throw to be had, they did a really good job getting an open space with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Really, what has been happening, teams have just been setting high ball screens, catching Moses Brown or Tony Bradley off guard. And what you're left with are guards who are just giving free runners and floaters, and they're going to take it every single time and they're going to make you pay. So Sexton had 27 points, Garland had 21 points, and then they even had Terran Prince, who had 22. A little bit of a surprise there. He kind of had to take that center role because you didn't have Allen and because you didn't have Larry Nance in the game. Kevin Love was the starting center. He didn't actually do that bad. He had 18 points and 11 rebounds, but they really had to look towards other people to help out um, without, you know, a guy like Jared Allen, who not too long ago when we last played them looked like a superstar, like there was no way we could stop him. So, you know, we got pretty lucky, but they did a great job kind of resurfacing with uh, some of the other guys. When it came to how Oklahoma City did as a unit, I mean, it, it was pretty good for them. Like they actually outshot the Cleveland Cavaliers from three. By a pretty big margin, they shot 40%, while the Cavs only shot 35%. When you're looking overall, the Thunder shot a little bit worse than the Cavs. They shot 45%. The Cavaliers shot 51 So the main reasoning for why the Cavs won, probably those free throws and just the extra possessions that they were able to garner. But yeah, I mean, they did an amazing job in that first half, just perfectly executing. You know, they ended up having... 50, no, yeah, yeah, they had 61 points in that first half, the Thunder did, that's a lot higher than what we've seen in these last couple games, so, I mean, it was a real bright spot, like, I remember, I don't know if it was the Portland game or the Suns game, where you were looking at them, I think it was the Portland game, it was like 55 to, like, them in the 90s or something wild like that, so, 
yeah, I mean, they kept it close to the Cavs. It just really came down to them not being able to convert. Really, what killed them was that third quarter. They got outscored 28-14. to 14, So, yeah, I mean, when you can't stick with it for the full 48 minutes, it's going to end up biting you. That's really what Mark Dagnall chalked it up to. I mean, in the post-game presser, he was talking about how they did a great job, but, you know, after halftime, Cavaliers kind of were just playing better. So, you know, he said the Cavs came out of halftime ready to go and more so than they were and they pretty much got run down by the Cavaliers and that's a fair assessment because like I talked about those two point guards they are dangerous when they get into open space and they had the ease of access all game long when it came to what the Thunder were doing you know obviously you didn't really have a small ball lineup rolling out there we don't have like a Mike Muscala playing minutes for us we don't have a small ball five Roby a Horford so you're always are gonna have someone like Moses Brown or Tony Bradley kind of stuck in the paint there and it's awesome like I really enjoy seeing Tony Bradley and Moses Brown in the paint because they get so many easy dump off passes and with Bradley you know He's a little bit more uh, concise on how he makes his shots. Like, he'll flick it up when he's wide open. I like Brown a little bit more because he always wants to, like, tear the rim down when he dunks. But, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be someone working in the paint. And I guess it kind of does cut off some of the passing lanes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they kind of just ran ran dry of options. Like, they were really perimeter-centric. But then when that kind of dwindled down... They didn't really have as much opportunity inside. Like, they were getting looks through the centers, through them driving in, through screens, even a couple back doors, honestly. But the problem is, like, they just weren't getting the foul calls that they needed. And um, that that's really what ended up really being painful for them. But um, when you look at the final, like, box score, you really cannot be all that mad. All five starters cracked double-digit points. You had Jalen Horde get double digits again. He had 12. But the man of the game was Ty Jerome. He had 23 points on the game, 9 of 16 from the field, and went 5 of 9 from 3. Last four games for him have been very, very rough. So the turnaround in this one was just completely drastic. Total 180. I think whenever I was talking yesterday about some of the uh, averages through April might have been two episodes ago but I was talking about Ty Jerome like he was shooting in the teens from downtown and it was really the same looks you saw from him in the last game he just chucks up limitless range threes there's normally light protection on them and whenever defenders are trying to get up on him typically you're going to see a high ball screen coming from a guy like Tony Bradley and that second unit. So they end up going under the screen sometimes. And that's where Ty Jerome pretty much hoists the jumper every single time. So they're good looks. They just haven't fell in. This game, he, he couldn't miss. Like, he was amazing. A career high there. And he still was able to get three rebounds and three assists on the game. He was kind of just brushing it off. I think Nick Gallo asked him a question kind of on the same lines of how are you able to kind of turn things around so fast and I think he was just talking about I think he yeah he mentioned like meditation and just not really worrying all that much to stay locked in on the prize and um, you'll be able to get where you want to go so 
yeah, I mean, pretty good testament by him. Ended up working in his favor because of how he played in the game. He really was the guy for us because other players like Poku and Maladone, they have been the stars of the month so far. And I think in the new rookie ladder, they're both going to have to be really, really high up there. I don't know how much they'd climb, but I mean, those have been the guys that you've kind of relied on, surprisingly. But they just were not able to make shots. I mean, Poku, he shot 3 of 12. One of those shots, though, was a beautiful step back 3 to end the quarter. Like, he looked like Kevin Durant when he shot it. Nothing but net. eyes. Everyone's eyes, probably, who were watching that game, just lit up. Like, some of the things that he does is... So crazy, but he only shot 3 for 12 to get his 10 points, and then Teo, he shot 6 of 17 in order to get his 14, shot 1 of 6 from downtown as well. So you really needed that number one option, and Ty Jerome was able to do that. So he's finally kind of veering right back where he needs to be. You know, he started out coming from the blue, like being really really exciting to watch like he was dropping 15 points he was dishing out like career highs and dimes in his first week and he's kind of toned it back down but I mean now it looks like he might be climbing back up on the mountain so I'm excited for him Kenrich Williams was another guy that I was really happy with talked about in the last game how he was like taking shots up after the game he shot two of 12 pretty dreadful night for him but he did a great job turning around, just like Jerome did. Shot 5 of 9 from the field, hit both of his 3-pointers to get him to 12 points, and he had 7 rebounds and 9 assists for the second game in a row. So he tied his career high in back-to-back games. Whenever I said like a month ago he deserves starting minutes, I wasn't kidding. Like He will fill in, does whatever ever you need him to do and he's gonna play the role perfectly we've just inserted him into this makeshift lineup so far and he is he's looked great I mean I'm not gonna say this is the best moment of the season for him because I do think maybe uh, a month or two ago he did have some spurts just like this but he's just looked uh very consistent when it comes to just being a positive asset for the team and um, the three-point shooting, it's always been a high point with him. And um, I know that, like, last year with the Pelicans, he wasn't shooting that amazing from three. Really, in his TCU days as well, he wasn't a crazy shooter. He's looked great, though, from here. Um, I think if he just continues to be shooting at a high rate from the perimeter, he's going to be scary. Like, he already has been doing this for the whole entire season. If he can translate that over to next year. Oh my god, we are looking at an absolute monster because he really does bring it all to the table right now. Last starter that I wanted to talk about was Moses Brown. Shot 6 of 10 in the game, got 13 points because he only had one free throw attempt. And he got his double-double, had 11 rebounds. Only two of those came on offense though. And this was the guy that I thought was going to break out. I thought this was going to be a game where Moses Brown just dominated from start to finish because they didn't have Jared Allen I didn't think Kevin Love would be able to stack up against him I didn't think a guy like Terrion Prince or um I think they even had Dean Wade out there at some times to try to help out uh, I didn't think those guys would really do much to him but surprisingly you know they were able to limit him a little bit and I think it's because they were able to kind of prevent those fouls I think Moses Brown 
believe it or not, has been finding a ton of his points just getting in the free throw line. Like he was the leading free throw shooter in the G League for the majority of this season. I think I know for centers. I don't know about the whole entire league, but he was up there. That's where he feasted. That's what he's been doing. Now it's kind of slowed down and like six of ten shooting is still amazing. But I think that kick really comes from him getting to the free throw line. So he didn't get the shots. I thought he was bound to get 20, though. So I'm not, like, upset about it because I think just generally how the whistles were blowing, it it wasn't going to matter. Like, it's not Moses Brown's fault he wasn't getting to the line because he was just absorbing so much contact during the game. But, you know, it kind of is what it is. Svi Mikhailuk, he's another starter I didn't mention, but he had his 10 points, shot 4 of 8 and went two of three from downtown. So he's just been really uniform. He's giving you everything. Really cannot be complaining about him. That Diallo trade definitely has been a win-win situation. Jalen Horde, you know, I already said how he had 12 points, but every single game he's suited up for the Thunder so far, he has cracked double digits. He shot four of nine in this game, so a little bit less efficient but look at where he made it up. I told you guys this was going to be one of his strongest strengths in the league. Free throw shooting. Led the team for the second game in a row. Went four of six. And he does it just how, you know, he was doing things in Orlando. Just get the ball, drive in, point A to point B, and just wreak havoc. Bump into everybody force a call, make it in 100% no no 50-50 call. You see it, no ref is going to be able to miss this, you know, or else they're getting fined kind of deal. And he's been very good at kind of securing those situations for himself. So he did great in that department, and he still got five rebounds. Two of those came offensively, and he had two assists as well. Man, Jalen Horde. Um, I don't really know what the what the bar would be to get your contract upgraded, especially because we have some European guys coming in. But like, he's gonna have probably a real market if he if he continues to play this way. He's definitely gonna have a market come summertime. This was yet another just diamond in the rough pickup for Sam Presti, and I know that obviously. With the situation right now, you could kind of try to, you know, underlook what Horde has been doing because, you know, with all of our seven guys back, would he be playing serious minutes? Probably not, but he stepped up. And I really think that's just what the NBA is about. If you want to be in that top 450, you need to take advantage of every single advantage you have, every single positional battle and just make the most of it. That's how guys like Kenrich Williams and Isaiah Roby have cemented themselves into this roster because I genuinely did not think they had secured spots entering training camp. Got guys like Admiral Schofield and TJ Leaf who lost out there. So it's gotten a bloodbath, and Jalen Horde has just made made his voice known. I think he's kind of making a name for himself right now, and I want to see him continue to play well over 20 minutes per game. But with this Thunder, they're 20 and 32 right now on the year, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are 19 and 32. And this is the biggest part about this game. Like, obviously, in the short term, Cleveland's the winner of this game, no doubt. They just blew the game open in that second half. 
But does this game really matter? Like, when you look at our team five years from now, this season, are you going to pinpoint this Cleveland Cavaliers game? Absolutely not. You know what you are going to pinpoint five years down the line? Oklahoma City's draft position. And this one really helped us out here because with this loss, we are just half a game back from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that's serious business whenever we have kind of been just jawing at all these different teams for about the past month, shot out like a cannon to begin the year. And now, you know, you kind of have that question of, are we entering the, the tank race a little too late? It looks like not really right now because we're only half a game back from the Cavs and Washington. We're just a game behind from them. Even if you want to go to the four spot, you got the Orlando Magic, who we are two and a half games behind but I mean this was a serious kind of event here because if the Thunder would have lost this game we are talking them not only not being half a game back from the Cavs but they would be below the Toronto Raptors which that is that's bad you don't want to be behind the Toronto Raptors at this point we got so far to the point where we've actually been tied with them and like surpassed them at certain points but you got to make sure you're staying ahead of them. And if we would have won the game, you lose out on that and you have a two and a half game separation between the Cleveland Cavaliers. So this was serious for us. And um, yeah, I mean, really, this was a long term victory. You know, we had a game against the Raptors where we were trying to lose. At least that's the, the fan base's hope that uh, they would have lost. They didn't lose. You kind of redeem yourself here against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, you just keep it moving, headed on to your next game. You got the day off, and then Saturday, you're going to be playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. They're looking really good right now. They are currently 35-16, and 16, so this is a game where you don't think the losing streak gets snapped, but you never really know with this team, so... It will be fun to see kind of how that shakes out tomorrow. But I want to get into the new acquisition and new kind of waving from our team. And first off, I'm going to talk about Darius Miller. He was listed on the injury report for the last game. And that's the last game we have seen with him with the Thunder. 31 years old, hitting the free agent market after this year he was on a seven million dollar expiring makes sense why the thunder just decided to waive him right now because he's not going to be with you past this season like he was going to hit the open market and he was probably going to take like a minimum contract with a contender or something i think this was just a set in stone kind of plan just as it was with other guys like mike muscala and Al Horford where you know they were Sam Presti and management were just really transparent like Miller entered this gig kind of knowing he wouldn't have rotational minutes he's kind of just been on the bench helping players out but you know I think it was a positive experience for both ends I think it was probably mutual departing Miller he's gonna have a chance to sign with other teams I believe the day I'm recording this the ninth this is actually the last day that players can be signed by teams and be eligible for the playoffs so if he misses out on a deal today he's not gonna be eligible for that that's probably his best shot 
at uh, continuing the remainder of the season because, you know, if there's like a Lakers team, why would they drop someone they have right now for a player that's not going to be able to compete when really it all matters? So we'll see what happens with him. But yeah, I mean, he's out. Makes sense because of the age and because, you know, there's just more players for us to be searching for. Sam Presti in total rebuild mode just has hit that button already. And if you didn't already know with all the other moves we've had where we've waived guys like Myers Leonard, Austin Rivers, and Justin Jackson, I think Myers Leonard definitely is not in that same category. But those three guys, I mean, they were kind of all waived to open up a roster space for a young player. And then you get another guy in Miller who you waive for another young player. And whenever Justin Jackson was waived, I was actually surprised he got waived over Darius Miller. And it looks like it just didn't really matter because they got waived within a week of each other. First, you ended up waving Justin Jackson so you could pick up Justin Robinson. And then now with Darius Miller getting waived, you get a crack at signing another player this time in Gabriel Deck. But Darius Miller, I mean, he was really positive for the franchise. If anyone wants him, there's a real reason for them to be interested. I mean, he shot over 40% for us from downtown. He's been known as a sharpshooter pretty much since he came out of Kentucky. So who doesn't want a small forward who can shoot the ball in this day and age? You'd have to think there'd be some sort of murmurs on whether or not someone would like to pick him up. This may just be another deal where he will have to wait till the summer to sign a contract, but um, yeah, I think um, it, it just it just made sense for both players, just like with Justin Jackson on different timelines, and you know, I think it's probably beneficial for the other player anyways to have another chance with a team that might actually want them long term, so best of luck to Darius Miller. You know, he only got to play in 18 games for us, and when he was out there, he looked very amazing. So someone might see that and, you know, imagine they could uh, work work with him and mold him into one of their rosters. So we'll see what goes on with Darius Miller. But talking about the new kid on the block for the Thunder, you know, he thought Justin Robinson and Jalen Horde were going to wrap up our acquisitions. No, we are not done, actually, because we picked up Real Madrid forward Gabriel Deck. And this is a bit interesting because he's not your 20, 21, 22-year-old guy. This guy is 26 years old, and he's been playing professionally since he was 15 years old. And he's got a whole entire trophy case of what he's done in his career. He's won three Spanish Super Cups, three LNB championships, which that's Argentina's top league. And then he also, out of those three championships, won the MVP of those finals two times. And then he even was the LNB MVP in 2018. And after all that success in Argentina, he was able to move up to the Euro League with Real Madrid. You guys probably already know and recognize their name. One of the top teams in the Euro League, and that's a pretty prestigious club to be playing with. I mean, you want to look at some of the alums? You're talking Luka Doncic and Facundo Campazzo, who, if you guys don't know, signed with the Denver Nuggets 
for this season. And this is kind of how Deck was able to get his name kind of recognized because he did have murmurs beyond like this last year of people being interested in him. We don't know like particular franchises or which organizations, but there's kind of been tracings with him in the NBA for a little while now. The latest thing I could find actually came from Kobe Bryant in 2019. He was checking out the World Cup and Gabriel Deck kind of spotted out to him. I mean, there was there's a little bit of a picture you guys can find online. Kobe giving him a handshake, kind of giving him a look. Apparently, from what Manu Ginobili was saying, because this is something that he kind of forwarded to Deck, and I guess Deck told the media about it. So this might be a, a bit of mistranslation here on what exactly was said. But Kobe sounded like he voiced Deck as a good fit for the Lakers team back in 2019. Kind of just a role player. You can fill in the gaps with... Um, with players such as LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But, um, yeah, I, I think that really just speaks to him. You know, if you got a guy like Kobe Bryant who is really giving you props, that means you're doing something well. And when it comes to NBA teams being interested, obviously there were some teams who kind of put their names in the hat. You know the Thunder was one of them because they just signed him. But there's probably more teams than just one because whenever Campazzo got signed by the Denver Nuggets the first reports or at least some of the first reports I found from some of these Real Madrid sites were talking about how is Gabriel Deck going to be next to kind of capture another NBA spot and the answer now we know is 100% a yes but at the time I mean a little bit of uncertainty but there was already a market that you could kind of spot out there. And Deck has kind of been vocal about wanting to go to the NBA. This was back, I think, last November when this happened. But he kind of just gave an ultimatum to Real Madrid. He was asking for a pretty hefty contract extension. Or he was just going to threaten to straight up leave. Like, just void his contract. He had some sort of clause. And he'd just wait for a team. And nothing really came of fruition to that. I mean, he played the entire season for Real Madrid. Their season ended literally yesterday. And what do you know? You know, after he finishes his game, you have a report from Chema De Lucas saying that he's going to be flying to Oklahoma City in the next couple of days and he's going to be signing with them. And we kind of just learned this now, but. The contract details, it's going to be three years, and it's going to be valued around $4 million. Partially guaranteed contract, so you're not locking him up entirely, but you're kind of just giving him another look, kind of throwing him in that Lou Dort Moses Brown kind of category where you got to earn your stripes. And I'd say that probably he might be guaranteed for the first year and not the next two, but I don't want to go and assume that already. So... We will see, and then I'll go into the contract details in the next episode. But with Deck, you are getting a certified vet who, he's only 26 years old. And what he's going to bring to the table for you is obviously that kind of championship mindset because he's already been in some really high situations already. But also, just uh, just a little bit of everything. I mean, he's six foot six, playing in the Euro League. He was doing it all for Real Madrid. He averaged 9.7 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 1.2 assists in his 58 games that he had. 
So he he's kind of just been doing everything for them. And I guess one point that people might make when you look at deck stats is that's really bad for someone that you're going to be signing for a long-term contract. And to that, like in NBA standards or, you know, another league, like a lower tier league, yeah, that's probably not where you would want it to be at. But you need to understand this. The Euro League is probably the second best league in the entire world. Like NBA definitely is number one. And then below that, you have the Euro League. And Real Madrid is in that upper echelon of teams. So he is playing some really top heavy competition, anyways. And I'd kind of go as far to say that numbers in the Euro League really are harder to come by than they are in the United States. Because. When it comes to how EuroLeague basketball is played, number one, you're going to chop down how many minutes you're playing from 48 to 40, so you don't have your superstars kind of gas the whole entire time. People are pretty much fresh-footed the entire game, at least the, the stars of your respective clubs, and then the pace is just so much slower. In the NBA, you got a bigger court. You have a defensive three-second violation, so centers can't just camp down low. And because of that, what do you see? You see all these drives from guys like SGA, guys like Doncic, just using screens and taking advantage of wide-open lanes for layups or kickouts for threes. That part of the game, it's still technically there in EuroLeague, but it's not as prevalent because you're almost always going to have a center right down below. And if you don't have a real shooter, you know, at that five position, it's going to be a big liability for you. So just the game is really clogged up from there, a lot more congestion. So you need to be a lot more precise when it comes to how you're playing in order to get results. So whenever I look at those, you know, those stat, stat lines, I'm not really pointing at any red flags here. I think you just kind of need to look at his skills that he has and say, you know, how much of this can he translate to the next level? And there's a pretty decent bit that he can move over. Now, whenever I was looking at the tape, and this is kind of just off my YouTube scouting, so don't come John at me in like a week saying I'm an idiot for this. But from my scouting... The only major issues that I saw from him are that he's not particularly fast. Like at six foot six, he's pretty big and he's playing at the three and the four, but he's really not that fast. And then he's also not that athletic either. Like the slam dunks that he has, probably like two handed rim grazers, nothing too wild. And then when it comes to getting rebounds, yeah, he can get you good positioning, but is he going to be, you know, putting on a jet pack and going to the next level to get you a board? Probably not. And I think the face-up jumper with him takes a little bit for it to develop. There's a little bit of, like, fluctuation in terms of how he gets his shots off. Like, when he's wide open, he takes his time in a standstill jumper but when you kind of put him in different situations he can get the ball off very very fast and that's kind of where I want to go into my positives with him his pull-up jumper is really ridiculous like he will get that off in a snap of a finger so maybe that jumper isn't all that slow after all but when he's on the move it's pretty hard to contest him like if he has a step on you he's gonna pull it whether it's a pull-up mid-range a fadeaway mid-range or just in general stop and pop he'll cook you right there and 
I think that's a shot I'm pretty confident with him in. Now, obviously, since he's not that fast, is he going to have a ton of those kind of situations? Maybe not. I think if you get him with a screen and you open up the floor a bit for him, you will get those opportunities. How much will Dagnall throw him in that kind of situation? We don't know yet, but that's kind of what I've liked from him in terms of how he kind of plays off the dribble. And then he's got a pretty high release point to kind of couple with that. So blocking his shot is going to be a very tough task for you. You know, even contesting it might be pretty difficult. And just like Vit Krejci, like this is, I think, a pretty good comparison with Krejci. He is a straight up slasher. Like he's six foot eight. He's a point guard and he will climb the ladder to make dunks go down. I don't think Deck has that kind of bunnies in him. Like he's not going to be posterizing players, but he kind of has that same sort of mindset that I've seen from Vit, at least with his prior tape uh, before we drafted him, where he wants to play bumper cars when he gets into the lane. Like he wants to crash into players, and he's good at absorbing contact as well. Got a pretty soft touch on his layups. So you do have kind of a seed of inside finishing as well. I think the same goes with his three-pointer. And those are two kind of aspects that I think he will be able to develop and really put on um, showcase for the team as he's kind of in this almost tryout phase, if you want to call it that. But also, I think the biggest kind of advantage that he has is his passing ability. And this is just one of a multitude of guys who at his position, is very, very good at distributing the basketball. Teo Maladon, his tape from his games in France, almost all of them were no-look passes or him going for cross-court jump passes. When you look at Pogashevsky, what did you see from him? You saw him, you know, chucking like darts cross-court to players in the corner. You saw him going up for alley-oops and then last second deciding, you know what, I'm going to mid-air tap pass this thing to one of my teammates. And after you get done watching those flurry of plays, he'll he'll throw you a couple behind the backs, he'll throw you a no-look as well in there. And I think you could probably put Deck in that same category. Now, is he going to be as wild as Poku? Absolutely not. Is he going to have as many chances to make no-look passes as Maladone? Probably not as well, but he still is really crafty when it comes to making decision-making with the ball. And if you go check some of his highlight reels on YouTube, you're going to see like the welcome to OKC videos. You got the kind of wild thumbnails where you just slap a title over a picture or like, you know, just a, a normal text. And uh, you're going to get like a, a pretty cheesy intro and outro. Like it seemed like I was watching a 2016 Minecraft video when I was watching his tape. But the, the highlights in there are amazing. And I think the first play on the number one search result for his highlight is him going left baseline. And he's got kind of someone right in front of his grill. So he goes up for like a floater slash layup and he gets met. He gets stuffed. So instead of kind of just faltering, you know, taking a terrible shot or just chucking the ball errantly in the middle of the, the playing field for someone, hopefully his teammate, to get the ball, um, you'd think that's kind of what he'd be doing. But he actually did not do that. He had some crazy vision on this play 
what he ended up doing is he got the ball around this guy's body and launched a perfect pass right under the basket to his man. I think Eddie Tavares might be his center for Real Madrid. Kind of crazy to think about that. I remember Eddie Tavares with like the, the Hawks and the Cavs like loving him because he was super tall. But he's got a guy in Tavares who was able to dish the ball down low to. I don't know if it was him on that play. Maybe it was, but he just dished it inside for a beautiful play. And he had some no looks in there as well. So I think really what you have in him is a six foot six playmaker. Kind of put him at the small forward, I would say, ideally. And he just meshes well, I think, with what you have in Maladon and Poku in terms of how they like to get the ball around. And it's pretty obvious what Sam Presti is trying to build right now. He wants to get a ton of positionless players who have a knack at passing the basketball around. And you want them to be able to shoot too when it comes to how uh, how he's been doing from beyond the arc. It's not terrible. He's been shooting around 36% from distance. So you could try to work with him there. So he kind of puzzles. He kind of is that piece to the puzzle you already have right now. He just, he just fits. So I understand why... He was the uh, ultimate selection here and why maybe there might have been a contract just waiting for him under the table for a little bit of time. But yeah, I think he's going to come in and I don't know how many minutes are going to be relegated to him off the bat, but he's going to be able to really just seamlessly fill in. You know, I I don't know if he's going to fill in to the extent that Horde did because Horde had so many different connections, but I think he's a guy that almost can fit in like a Kenrich Williams almost where you don't need him to be a shooter every game but he can be if you would like him to and then also if you need him to distribute he can distribute distributing is going to be clearly his number one deal right now you know I might look at more tape and tomorrow I'll tell you something different but from what I'm seeing I think playmaking number one that's what he's great at finishing pretty solid. I like how aggressive he is. And I think when it comes to shooting the basketball, that's also another kind of point where he can improve upon. So he's solid everywhere. That passing, he takes it on another level. So I think this is a a good search. If you're looking for potential assets to throw out down the line, you definitely are going to bring in Gabriel Deck with that mindset. And I think he honestly could fulfill that. And there's another player that has been rumored for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I will talk about that in tomorrow's episode, actually. I'll leave it as a bit of a cliffhanger, because there probably will be more developing news on that story anyways, but I will get to that in tomorrow's episode. I'll also get you a preview of the 76ers game, and hey, I might even talk about Maladon and Poku once again. I know you guys have loved those kind of tidbits I've splashed in there, so get prepared for that tomorrow. When it comes to today's episode, though, that is going to do it. I thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.